Welcome to this edition of Hindsight is Horrifying, the show where three mostly normal and somewhat cynical adults discuss life as members of the TV generation. Now here are your hosts, Darth Jader, Jason Mitchell, and Adam B. Hello. Hi. Hey. And welcome to another edition of Hindsight is Horrifying. Yes, yes, we're we're back. Good, good to see you. Yes, they yeah. haven't canceled us yet. Oh, that's right. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> we they do our can. own thing. They can't cancel us. <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, no, we are back. Uh, we are uh, still doing a 90s thing. Uh, this one's going to go on for a while. And uh, this is one that... Uh, Skipping we... right over Christmas, by the way, just so you guys know, yeah, we're bah humbugging it this year. Yeah. So well, we are highlighting the hell out of the 90s, though. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It just didn't feel like a Christmas movie no. this year. It's well, not been a very Christmassy season for well, us in general. So we have the airing of the grievances. Yes. And what? that's not having Festivus. Christmas. Festivus well, for the rest of us. Well, as those of us who follow us on X uh, will know, uh, we put a, uh, a poll up mm-hmm. because I said I wanted to do a Jennifer Connelly movie. And I said, which Jennifer Connelly movie should we do? Should we do Dark City... Should we do The Rocketeer or Career Opportunities? And it very quickly became a two-horse race between Career Opportunities and The Rocketeer. And ultimately, The Rocketeer did win. Wow. But I didn't want to talk about that. (laughs) So we're doing Dark City tonight. Get your own show. <laughs> it just shows you where my mind is when you said you put a poll up and you wanted Jennifer Colony to come. Does not uh, count. I just thought you wanted so her to dance know. for you. Would you uh, like that? Okay, so so there's there's a chance if we if we if we you know put a hashtag in there, there she might see this. So be on your best behavior. <laughs> okay, for God's sake. I'm sorry, oh, Jennifer. Right. Yeah, I know that's a hopeless thing. <laughs> it's your girlfriend. <laughs> no, we are we are doing the 1998 Alex Proyas movie Dark City, <laughs> uh, the trailer for which is right here. Hello. Badly done AI Jeremy Clarkson here to describe the trailer that you can't see because you're using iTunes or something ancient like that. Anyway, New Line Cinema, remember them? Probably not. Now, we see some bold people looking very menacing, probably Freemasons. The text says from the director of how damn it was too fast. Something about the cow. Now, some action and a bit more text. Nope, too fast again. There's a fish and key for Sutherland. A bit more text. A lovely lady, wonder who she is? Some more text, not even bothering this time. There's some slashing and falling. Lots of jumping. More bald men. Flying bald men. Some explosions. I think I've had about enough. It's called Dark City. Now, let's fade out. Intriguing. Mm. So, for those of you not familiar and for those of you who didn't necessarily pick up on the story from the trailer, because it is quite an enigmatic movie, uh, Dark City, the synopsis, for those of you who have not seen it, is, and this is literally how it was written. I made a note of this from Amazon Prime. Separated from wife, 
That's <laughs> <laughs> wrong right now. Like you it's are. already it's already wrong. John Murdoch awakens alone in a strange hotel to learn he is wanted for a series of brutal killings, but he can't remember if he did or didn't commit these murders. Mm. See that's typical. That's interesting because it's it, it it seems to be an attempt to make it just a normal movie. A little bit. And I wonder if the synopsis has anything to do with the fact that, uh, because Alex Proyas wrote the original script, but the only part that was kept of what he wrote was the fact that there's a main character and he was suspected of murder. Yeah. Apparently everything got tossed out the window besides that. Well, they, they had an original script and then, and that was the one that actually got the movie greenlit. Mm. And subsequently the budget went up and, because they had As written happens. it, well, they they wrote the original, or Proyos wrote the original with the idea that we're not going to have a lot of money for action set pieces, things like that, so we won't write them. Well, Proyos isn't a huge fan of overindulging no. in, uh, you know, no, and, the CG and, or special effects or anything like that. Yeah, and it's it's one of the things I like about this movie, but we'll we'll get into that. But <clears throat> so what happened was when they got a budget that was bigger than they initially thought they were going to have, they they brought in a screenwriter. And said, look, we can actually do some action. We can do a little bit more. So let's put that in there. And then I think there was a third person who came in and took that and wrote the uh, what ultimately became the shooting script. Yeah, so Lim Dobbs for- wrote the final draft and reformed the plot as it appears in the film, with the exception of the special effects sequences. Uh, and although the powers of the strangers were alluded to, they would never actually be depicted. It was David S. Goyer who was hired to write the shooting script when they had secured the bigger budget. He yeah. added all the action scenes that appear in the film and which show explicitly explicitly the operating background of the Dark yeah. City. Yeah, and it's, you know, uh, this, this movie, so it came out in 98, uh, which was in this beautiful time period for movies. Mm. And it was like a six-month period where you got The Fifth Element, The Big Lebowski, and this. I mean, These all came out within the same six months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Big Lebowski was 98. This was 98. Fifth Element was 97, but I'm pretty sure I saw it in 98. Um, that would stand Late reason. 90s. It was yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, it was a period. When VHSs yeah. were, you know, popular yeah. to collect. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. I do have the Fifth Element on VHS. Yeah. This, this was actually the first movie I ever bought on DVD. And, really? Yeah. Oh, and, that's nice. Yeah, when we go out for a break, I'll see if I can. It might actually be in the office somewhere. But yeah, this was. Uh, I bought a Sony DVD player, and this movie, and that was because you that could was, only afford one DVD no, once you it. bought a DVD player <laughs> yeah, back in the nineties because they were like three hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, I got some great deal from Sam's Club. Nice. Yeah, and uh, well played. Yeah, they were expensive. I remember that. Oh yeah. Very expensive. Well, they were cutting-edge technology. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and didn't last very long at all. They did not. I have so many damn DVDs just eating up space in yeah. my garage. <laughs> my, well, my one, I just got to tell the story, my one cousin, when they got cheap enough. Because he only has the one cousin. My one cousin, no, I just laughed because he gave me a DVD, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't have a DVD player. So he goes, here, here you go, and he yeah. gave me a D- DVD You player. get a free one with a box of pizza. <laughs> like, go with the DVD. Oh I was God. like, oh, you are so sweet. Wow, it's amazing. Nice. Well, you know, you can still go on Amazon and buy a VHS. Yes. Yeah, yeah I have yeah. Um, a Blu-ray DVD player. Yeah. It's a combo. <laughs> I, have an, I have an Xbox. And I have a VHS <laughs> DVD player. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, so the VCR. Yeah. So the movie itself, this was um, Dark City was one of those movies that that really resonated with me. 
Um, and it, for years and years and years, I've considered it one of my favorite movies. I've, in my opinion, it's it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Interestingly, it's been a long time since I've seen it, though. It's probably been, I mean, it might might have been eight or nine years since I've seen it last. Okay. And I was absolutely, spoiler alert for the Alf to Seinfeld, I, I was so surprised by how this movie feels so much more relevant today than it did back in 98 or any other time. Like, Well, Poyas was quoted as saying that as technology improved, that this movie would become more and more possible yeah. uh, as a reality. Yeah. So that it stands to reason. Well, when you've got, you know, all kinds of stuff, uh, people talking about the simulation. Oh, you there's know. your girl. <laughs> yes. And well, there's another reason it resonated. Um, <laughs> yes, this was this was one of uh, yeah. resonated other somewhere other than memory. Well, <laughs> everything resonates when Jennifer Connelly's involved. Oh, goodness. Jennifer Connelly, this is an interesting thing. We can go straight into one of the quirky things about this movie and its, its sort of story. The movie came out in 1998. Jennifer Connelly is cast as Emma, who is, yeah, you don't even want to call her the wife of John Murdoch. She's a club because, singer. Yeah, she's a club singer. That's she our first that. impression of her. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> when the movie, uh, and you, you guys saw the theatrical cut. Mm. Yes, apparently yes, so. Yes. Okay, this is going to be interesting because I, uh, the in the theatrical cut, all of Jennifer Connelly's songs were actually sung by a musician, a British musician named Anita Kelsey. When the rainbow rhythm start to play, dance with me, make me sway, like a lazy ocean hugs the shore. And for some reason, when they did the director's cut, they dumped Anita Kelsey's audio track and they used Jennifer Connelly's audio track. When marimba rhythm start to play, dance with me, make me sway, like the lazy ocean hugs the shore, hold me close, sway me more. Who's the better singer? Well, you can't judge it based on this for one reason. It's very clear when you listen to Jennifer Connelly's audio tracks on the theatrical cut that she knew it was going to be dubbed over. Okay. And so she was performing it as an actress and not as a singer. She sang it. Which are two completely different things. That's exactly. true. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. She sang it and she sang it well, but it's very obvious that there are certain moments in her in, in her performance where it's like well she didn't really hit that note very well no it's <laughs> you know? like anytime you see Cher you know that she's you know <laughs> lip syncing yeah it, it's pretty clear when you watch well, closely enough if you're correct and if you know that somebody's going to be you know playing the audio you know on top of you you're going to be more focused on how you look and how you do the Absolutely. visual performance. it's more about so, the aesthetic exactly so I, I think it's I don't know I like Maybe they thought they were doing something nice for her, but I actually think it's sort of counterproductive. Plus, it also, Anita Kelsey was actually kind enough years ago to send me her demo reel. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, Backstory, I, please, to it, this one? In the early days of the internet. Yes. Uh, so this would have been 99, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, I was curious if she had any albums, and I couldn't find anything uh, on, I, well, if iTunes even... I don't even know what I was using to buy. Is this the then. movie? Did the movie bring her to your yeah, I'd never attention? Yeah, oh, okay. but I thought, you know, I had the soundtrack to the movie, um, but I was curious, is there anything else? 
found her website, had an email address, sent an email, <laughs> and literally started emailing back and forth. Uh, cool. Yeah, and ultimately, I was like, so, hey, do you, do you have another CD? And she said, well, I have a demo CD, but I'm not allowed to sell it. Um, it, it I, have to, I have to give it away. And I said, okay, well, you know, that's cool. Um, May I have it? Please? <laughs> and I was like, well, is there, well, I said, well, is there anything, you know, like, I, I would rather you get paid. So she said, well, how about this? Here's a CD I want from not Amazon, but whatever the hell we were using in 99. Yeah. If you send me that CD, I'll send you my demo reel. Fair's so fair. I, so okay. I, went, so I'm I, yeah, here for so it. I bought the CD, shipped it, and like two months later, I get a package from England. And it's got her demo CD oh, that's in it. Cool. Yeah. So it was really cool. So I, I felt kind of bad well that she got that she got taken off the uh the track uh mm -hmm. for this. But we'll let the audience decide. We'll, you know. Mm. Well, that's the yes. way the cookie crumbles with the music industry, especially. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. With the Marky Mark remake of Good Vibrations, if you think the woman in the music video is actually singing, you are dead wrong. So I hate those words you just said. Dead wrong? <laughs> no, Marky. Mark. Marky. Recreate. Mark. Also known Re -re -re as Mark Wahlberg for yeah, those yeah. youngins for out there who don't know that they mm -hmm. are the same person. Yeah, they don't know who Mark Wahlberg is either. Probably oh, not. Oh, Jesus, that might be true. Is that that old guy? Yeah, he's, that performs? he's that old guy who was in a priest movie, I think. <laughs> yeah. A priest movie? Yeah, his last movie. Oh, I, that yeah. one I didn't see, but... Go, go watch The Departed. What's wrong with you idiots? They're Come not on. They're not going to. That's too long ago. Yeah. How they're long not ago going was that? It's it a great movie, though. Yeah. No, they're Kids. out. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, you know, it's like you look at a movie like Dark City and you realize, yeah, that's never getting made again. Mm -mm. Nothing like this will ever get made unless until AI can just make the movie for you. Mm. Um, Which is funny because of... All the movies that he reviewed throughout his, you know, vast career, this is one of the few that Roger Ebert loved. Loved it. Loved Apps. it. Roger Apparently Ebert adored this movie. called this movie the best film of 1998. He recorded yeah. a special audio commentary track for the DVD release of the movie. Like, I found all these interesting, like, normally on IMDb, you get some sort of run-of-the-mill facts, but this movie yeah. has a lot of fascinating backstory to it. Yeah. So I got a lot of good stuff to talk about today. Well, it's one of those movies that people who love cinema have really really latched onto and and just dissect you know the cinematography and the um uh the script and the storytelling methods and yeah roger roger ebert back again so this is very early days of dvd they used to give you all kinds of extras yes like interviews yeah uh, factoids, everything you can imagine, just all the makings of the movie. It was so great because yeah. DVDs just had so much substance to them. But now it's just, you get the movie and that's pretty much it. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't even get DVDs anymore. You're just doing them prime and then... Well, you know. and you mentioned the cinematography, J cinematography Jason. Uh, apparently, this is... Uh, it has the one of the shortest average shot lengths ASL of any modern narrative production at 1.8 seconds, which yeah. equates to it... Uh, it means that there's a cut almost every two seconds in yeah. this movie, which I didn't even notice when I was watching it. I was I'm starting to notice it now, though, now that you mentioned it. Are yeah. you getting disoriented over there? Once you notice it, it yeah, does become like, a little obvious. It does, yeah. I, but I wasn't focused on it last night when I watched this movie for the first time. So, yeah, spoiler alert on Alpha Seinfeld, but... It, yeah, it didn't really, it doesn't have that Guy Ritchie feel where you right. feel like you're rushing oh, and, no, cutting and, cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. It doesn't feel harried. It's, no, the, the pacing, pacing is great. Yeah, the pacing is perfect in it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that it does have such a short average uh, shot length, but you don't feel rushed. No. <clears throat> and in fact, 
The um, six hookers and all. <laughs> the, the exposition Sorry. is doled out at such a perfect. You you get pieces of the story at such a perfect rate that you're you're constantly like, oh, I know a little bit more. Oh, I know a little bit more. Oh, well, okay. Because you apparently know. one of the uh, versions of the script that was originally supposed to happen, uh, it was supposed to be from the POV of the inspector so that you were sort of going along the inspector's journey with him because he was getting this piece of evidence and then he'd get this piece and it yeah. finally he hit some sort of stalemate because the evidence stopped making any sort of sense. Yeah. And so you were kind of you know, keeping pace with the inspector himself. Yeah. Inspector Bumstead. I know yeah. what a name, <laughs> and only William but it's Hurt not could real pull that enough. off. That's no, the thing. it's not real. That yeah, you they, come they, to find that. Yeah, yeah. all it, I kept <clears> thinking of <throat> was, "Where's Blonde?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have no what idea. What we're no one is getting that one. <laughs> Jade. No. <laughs> Never mind. Go make yourself Aww. a Dagwood and, uh, and call <laughs> <Exactly>. it a Dag. <laughs> <Poor> Mr. Brown. <laughs> no, there was a there was a comic strip named Blondie and Dagwood Bumstead. They were. Oh, they oh were that's right. A married couple. Yeah. That was somewhere way back here. It was probably uh, still in the newspapers when you Yeah, were no, I remember. Yeah. I remember it's that comic anymore. strip. Just, no, it's not anymore. Uh, well, I mean, I Calvin watch, and Hobbes was still circulating when I was yeah. a kid, so. Well, they um the movie begins with a uh it, it's a different beginning depending on if you're watching the theatrical release or the uh the director's, director's cut. cut. Yeah. This is a huge change in the director's cut, and it's a very good change. In the theatrical release, there is a voiceover by Kiefer Sutherland. Mm. And Which Alex Proyas was not a fan of. Yeah, because it, it... The voiceover or Kiefer? Uh, no, the voiceover. Well, it was kind of a mixture. Yeah. So uh, he was not taking Kiefer seriously at all at first. And even when Kiefer Sutherland received the script, he honestly thought it was intended for his dad, Donald. And originally, uh, Schreiber... Yes. Schreiber. Schreiber. Dr. Schreiber. Dr. Schreiber. Uh, he was intended to be an older gentleman, but then once Proyas actually met with Kiefer and they did a read through, he started taking him more seriously and changed his perspective on it because he thought, oh, yeah, this actually does need to be a younger man with his life ahead of yeah. him, but with only this vision of what his future could possibly look like. Yeah. So they changed it from an older character to a younger one. So it wasn't that Proyas was adamantly against Kiefer. It's just that he wasn't taking well, he him seriously. Yeah, but then He had a different vision in mind, and then he met Kiefer and said, no, actually, this is going to work. Yeah, but yeah. he disliked the voiceover because it gives away too many plot points. Yeah, it was put in there. New Line Cinema basically said, you've made a very arty movie, uh, which it's not. And they told him um, he had to dumb it down because there was so much confusion yeah. at different points. So yeah. he wasn't super psyched about that either, evidently. They, he, Yeah, exactly. They he, he wanted to make a really intelligent movie, and he did. Um, and one of Ebert's big, uh, one of the things he, Ebert praised in the movie was just the way that, whereas in a normal movie, you would have an action sequence in dark city, you've got three characters in a rowboat talking mm -hmm. and they're actually accomplishing what would normally be accomplished with dumb action. But the movie, um, after the non intro, we're sort of introduced to the atmosphere of dark city, which mm -hmm. is, which is very much a Fritz Lang 1920s silent movie metropolis mixed with you know a 40s film noir uh, mixed with a little bit of 60s stuff in there and all deliberately and very creatively done to remind you of things but not let you actually figure out where you're at yeah and intentionally sprinkled with anachronisms for exactly that purpose uh Proyas wanted uh 
the audience to be somewhat disoriented as to the actual timeline and when this was taking place. Yeah, you'll notice that in the cinematography that there are lots of shots where the buildings are going off at weird angles in the frame. Mm-hmm. And it's it's deliberately, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I can't remember the name of the cinematographer, and it, it's going to drive me nuts. I'll have to look that up. That I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's deliberately done to make it so that you don't really know what to look at necessarily. I know what to look at. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I know. Oh, sorry. The, the bead door, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, who is this actress that played the... The young it was her debut, actually. Yeah. Uh, her name is Melissa George. Yeah, Melissa. She's been in some other stuff. Very um, cute. Oh, yeah, and she did, does a good job, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. down to her skivvies. She looks adorable. Yeah. Uh, very pert. I don't even know how to pronounce this. Oh, Darius Wolski. There you go. Yeah, Darius Wolski. Darius Wolski. Yeah. Yes. Darius Wolski. He um, was on, yeah, he was on the, the, there were two audio commentaries. One was the Ebert one, and one was uh, Alex Proyas. I think one of the other writers and Darius Wolski. So it was really cool because he's talking about how they lit things and, you know, the cinematography. Well, and the set pieces that they deliberately didn't shoot on location because Proyas could manipulate the set so much more easily and yeah. disorient the audience further. All of it was intentional for sure. Yeah, he, he uh, part of the idea for the movie came to him when he was on the set of The Crow. And you can imagine being in a very dark, gloomy set. And he was watching the the crew moving pieces uh-huh. of buildings around and he sort of, sort of got this idea of a city that was kind of rearranging itself which has become something of a of of a trope nowadays yeah, yeah like you we know? were talking on camera and all of us thought of different movies when we were watching this one i for instance flashback to inception big time because of how leo dicaprio and his team can manipulate i could see that. the dream reality mm-hmm. and change everything and modify it to you know whatever they need so yeah. whether it's uh the endless stairs or changing the actual like you know, dimensions of a yeah. full city, just like the uh, the strangers do in this with their tuning, well, and which I think, we should probably explain. Well, we, yeah, well, it's about 20 minutes into the movie when you, you get a very stark shift because it really starts off <clears throat> without the Kiefer Sutherland voiceover, which is why it's good they, they cut it. Um, it's it's a, a film noir. You have a guy who wakes up, He's getting amnesia. He's getting a weird phone call in a hotel room. There's a dead body. Did he kill her? He's on the run. You know, the cops are coming. He should have hired a private dick. Yeah, it's a very you kind know. of, well, we've seen this before, Still sort of war. story. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, of course. But then about 20 minutes into it is whenever we see the strangers for the first time. Mm. Specifically. <laughs> we, we They're s- creepy. Oh, God. Uh, Mr. The little one is. Yeah, Mr. The twins. S- Mr. Sleep. Mr. Sleep Mr. Hand. played by oh. uh, a set of twins, a girl and a boy, who <laughs> were uh, huge fans of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> yeah. it yeah. turns out. So there they were go. tickled as all get out to get to star alongside Richard O'Brien. Mm. And apparently he kept all of the cast and crew oh, yeah. entertained yeah. in between <laughs> takes with sure Rocky Horror Lines. Did. So <laughs> oh, yeah. evidently it was quite a treat. So yeah, but, they, they talked about that. Uh, in, I think it was in the other commentary. They did talk about how like he would do songs and he would entertain people. Uh, you know, in yeah. between being a weird villain that you kind of don't hate. Like, it, it's, we'll get into the to the villains later, but he does a good job of, of nailing a performance as a, a villain who's a villain because he has to be, and then he goes too far. 
Well, yeah, that's Proyas is, is the best kind of villains are. are people who are kind of backed into a corner and just do yeah. what they need to do to survive. Yeah. He said that that's the best kind of villain, and that's what they're doing. But to that end, gentlemen, I must have missed this detail. Why is there? Why is the strangers tuning? How is that perpetuating their existence? Well, the, okay, so the strangers like are what the, about the memory installation and all that that okay. they're doing to the humans? What's doing? What's benefiting so, the strangers? Spoiler alerts, um, because there are plenty of spoilers for this movie. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, the strangers are aliens. Yes. Or they're not. It's never explicitly said that they're aliens. They could be. You know, they're in space, but that's really all you know. Yeah. Presumably aliens, possibly some sort of paranormal thing. It doesn't really matter. The point is they're not human. They have been abducting humans and putting them in this artificial environment that they have. Simulation. Yeah. Well, it's. it's really a simulation. It's a, I mean, it's a real city. It's really, right. it's really there. They just create it. But they keep creating know. false realities within yeah. like this maze that they've got the humans trapped in. Yeah. And they keep instilling fake memories and essentially just seeing how they're going to behave based on the memories that they plant in their brains. Yeah. The, the, the premise is that the strangers are dying. They're, they're going to go extinct, and they've determined that in order to survive, they need some quality that humans have. But I, which I also don't understand because they're trying to discover, you know, the source of a human soul. Yeah. But that doesn't make humans live forever. Well, <laughs> we die in, too. So unless, I don't really understand the seeking of that. Unless you're not aliens. And you're some sort of paranormal thing, like oh, a demon. Oh, in which case the soul might actually. In which case the soul is okay. super fucking important. Gotcha. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, of course. Fair that enough. that's mm-hmm. the thing. The movie, it's the movie appears one it's way. Provoking. And, yeah, you think about it, and there's a lot of layers you can peel away. Um, and depending on your worldview, that stuff is relevant. Yeah, you know? I mean, uh, look at the lighting. She's got a half face, and just his eyes were kind of lit oh, up. It's, it's every every piece of it is just. A work of art. Yeah, it's, it's all funny, intentional. Because uh, yeah. not it, having yeah. seen this movie before, this is not the first time I've seen Rufus Sewell. Because since this movie, his his career has blown up. He's in countless movies, like A Knight's Tale. Like he's a, quite often a villain, or at least kind of a bastard in a lot of his movies. But this is the first time I've seen him as the you know the, the star. The, the star, the, like the, and plus somebody you want to sympathize with. You almost yeah. never sympathize with the characters that he plays in movies. He, he was in the uh, the BBC, the uh, Queen Victoria sh- uh, series that came out a few years ago. He's also an Abraham Lincoln and, vampire hunter. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, yes, that's right. He's yeah. one of the vampires. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna skip right <laughs> yeah. past that. He was in John Adams, the miniseries. Yeah. He played Alexander Hamilton and got shot for it. He's so. in The Holiday. Yeah. With yeah. Kate Winslet. He was in the uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet very mm-hmm. briefly. Yep. He was Fort- he Fortinbras? He was Fortinbras. Ah, yeah. that's I thought I recognized yeah. I think him. he's in several Shakespearean yeah. productions. Uh, but he's, yeah, he's, he's had quite a career. Extremely talented. Oh, actor. God, yeah. You know, per- I love perfect per- uh, person to, to lead the movie. Because nobody, he wasn't that well-known yet. He was not, even now, I wouldn't call him a household name. No, He's God a well-known no. name amongst, like, theater enthusiasts and movie enthusiasts. But uh, Proya is really 
advocated for Rufus Sewell playing the role because he knew who Rufus was before this movie came out, but he thought it would really add to the enigma of the movie and help with the disorientation for the audience if they didn't already know, like, oh, that's Matt Damon, oh, that's Brad Pitt, whatever. They didn't want, he didn't want any sort of familiarity in the audience's head with the main actor. Well, you know, I was offered the role, but I took strike zone. (laughs) (laughs) And I I stand by my decision. I just, you know. Tap dancing elephants. Those Iraqi sonar boys are on headset when we lash them. Their ears are going to be ringing so bad that we could drive a truckload of tap dancing elephants right past them. They wouldn't hear a thing. I wouldn't be here with you two. He read the script and he said, no, this is the one. (laughs) This This is is the one. Like that guy who uh, on Community who did the piles of bullets VHS yeah. game. This is the future. Forget Apple stuff. Exactly. So John Murdoch, the main character, he he's in this situation where he's on the run. The police are looking for him. He has no memories. He's 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 encountered these bizarre, very pale, deathly looking people um, who are evidently trying to to kill him also everyone's after him that's a ride or die wife right there because you come to find supposedly uh john and his wife are having marital issues because she allegedly cheated on him but you also come to find later that that was just a planted memory and that they're not actually even married they don't really even know each other well yeah um he it's it's a great the, the dynamic between rufus sewell and jennifer connelly is jennifer connelly remembers cheating on her husband, remember being, remembers being caught, and then her husband leaving. And he's been gone for three weeks. Right. She hasn't seen him that entire time. And then all of a sudden when she's at the club singing, uh, somebody pops out from the hallway and says, oh, your husband's doctor called. Right. And that it brings them back together. Yeah, Dr. Schreiber. Yeah, Dr. Schreiber, who there's an interesting story well, behind his name. Well, yeah, I want, uh, the, so the, the dynamic between them, though, is you have that as Jennifer Connelly's half of it. And then Rufus Sewell, you know, the first time he sees her, it's like, you're supposed to be my wife, which is one of the best lines in the movie. And, J- and Jennifer Connelly just barely says supposed to be, like, as a question right after. I found these keys in my pocket. So I assume I live here. You're supposed to be my wife. You're supposed to be. But his his perspective on the whole thing is, I don't know who you are. You're claiming that I walked out on you because I caught you having an affair. Which is pretty shysty work on the stranger's part because if they're going to implant that memory in her head, why wouldn't they do the same with him? Well, they were. They were. Oh, but but he sort of cheated the system and like evolved past it? No, no, when when Dr. Schreiber was implanting the memories in him, he woke up. Oh, so that's what they were in the middle of doing when he woke up. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so he only had bits and pieces. Gotcha. That's why he can remember, like he has a flash of Shell Beach. You know, in a flash of of uh, Uncle Carl or right. something like that. Because you know. even before I really got into the nitty gritty of the movie, I was just like, "Wow, they're remarkably well behaved with each other, considering the infidelity that just happened." Uh, that's you know, yeah, good well, for yeah, them. yeah, because it. He, she is, I think her her motivation is she's trying to get her husband back. She loves her husband. She, you can tell that she's almost like, "Yeah, I had an affair," which. I don't know why I did that. And in her, you know? like you see it in her expressions, it's like that doesn't even add up. Like right. well, that's not something I would that's do. That's not like but, me. But I remember doing it, so yeah. I guess it happened. And then uh, when 
uh, not Walensky, the Inspector Bumstead. Bumstead. <laughs> when, when, when he hunts down Murdoch and finds them at their apartment, Jennifer Connelly actually throws herself in the way so oh, yeah. Murdoch can escape. Yeah. So there's some sort of bedrock of feeling between the two of oh, them, yeah. despite the fact she that they're not. She definitely loves him. There's no two ways about that. Well, and he loves yeah. her, which we see later yeah. in the I movie. I think we all love her, actually. Yeah. Not, not just John. I'm she's more just, of a Rufus kind of gal. She's but. just well, she's so wonderful. It's okay. She's just, <laughs> she is. She's just so wonderful. She's a great actress. You know? She's very. She has a face you fall in love with. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's like it's not just a hot starlet. It's like, uh, you know, she was a huge um, plus in the Top Gun sequel. I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, she was great. Mm-hmm. In that. Um, but um, once we've established, okay, something odd is going on here. We start we start the the process of peeling everything back. We know that um, there are these weird, creepy guys who are up to something. We know they have some weird relationship with Kiefer Sutherland, and he's a psychiatrist. And well, he's already admitted to that. He says that he helps the strangers conduct their experiments in right. the uh, voiceover. So I guess depending on which version of the movie you saw first, oh, yeah, you would true, or wouldn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I'm interested to watch the director's cut now to see how different of a movie it feels like without all of those extras the- because... The director's cut definitely there's there's things I like about it and things I don't. Um, it was weird in the director's cut they changed the color tone of the strangers because I'm guessing what color are they in the director's? Well, color? in the theatrical one, their lighting tended to be fairly blue. Okay, yeah, they've got right? a very and uh, in, in the in the in the Uncle uh, Fester kind of vibe in the theatrical version. Well, it's it, their lighting is blue, and in the director's cut they made it more green, so they changed the color grading, and and it it was fine. But I, I kind of liked the blue. Maybe it felt too nineties. I don't know. Um, it definitely. You can never feel too nineties. Yeah. Um, Such a great decade. And sometimes the director's cut is better, and sometimes it's not good at all because it's the director saying every piece of my work is just perfect, and right. they have to include it. And it's like there was a reason that was cut. Yeah. It's a collaborative thing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Well, in the uh, in the version you guys saw, did they did they make any reference to Rufus Sewell's fingerprints? No. I just is this the is no. this the director's okay, cut? So that that was yeah, this is the director's cut. Cuz I was like, watching him looking at his fingers and I said I didn't take my What's eyes the relevance off the TV. Of that? It, it, it's weird in the uh, in the director's cut they they put back in um a portion or there's this running thing with Rufus Sewell's fingerprints or spirals. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, is that why it's relevant that there are spiral markings on one of the dead hookers that you see? No, the spiral thing is just that's what happens when you think about it. If you think about what's going on in Dark City, because uh, like Walensky. Oh, because it's a maze. Like Walensky, it just... Yeah, Walensky has spirals everywhere because it's like a, it's a big merry-go-round. You can't right. get off. Yeah. Yeah, and Bumstead actually inherits Walensky. He inherits the Murdoch case because Walensky was supposed to take over it apparently, but Walensky yeah. went insane. And apparently that was also part of the experiment from the strangers. They wanted to see what was going to happen to him once he went crazy because Walensky actually knows that they're being experimented on. He knows the truth and it drives him insane. <sighs> So unprofessional, Mr. Brown. I'm so sorry. I apologize to everybody. Do you we, see what we have to put up with? Yeah, this is just embarrassing. What are you talking about? Nobody heard that. Oh, my God. Definitely embarrassing. So my phone went off, <laughs> ladies so, and gentlemen. The, uh, the, what, what the, the intent of, of Murdoch, so to speak, is he, he, 
He wants to figure out who he is, what's going on. Really, he wants to just figure out who he is and not get arrested. He wants to get to the source of his memories as well. That ends up being a big part of it. And so Shell Beach is the prominent memory that yeah. he has, and he keeps tracking down every lead he can possibly find yeah. in order to get back to Shell Beach. And Walensky, who is the police officer who was on the murder case before uh, William Hurt's character took it over, he has this whole great scene where he sees it he gets it you know there you know uh um william hurt says you're, you're scaring your wife half to death and Malinsky's like that's not my wife i don't know who she is but she's not my wife i've been over every inch of this city i'm scaring your wife to death eddie she's not my wife i don't know who she is i don't know who any of us are what makes you say that you think about the past much frank how much is the next guy? See, I've been trying to remember things. Clearly remember things from my past. But the more I try to think back, the more it all starts to unravel. None of it seems real. It's like I've just been dreaming this life. And when I finally wake up, I'll be somebody else. Somebody totally different. You saw something, didn't you, Hetty? Something to do with the case. There is no case! There never was! It's all just a big joke! It's a joke! Because he's figured it out. Well, after you see the movie, it makes sense, but as you're watching yeah. it, like, oh, this guy's a little cuckoo. Yeah, exactly. Cuckoo, yeah. Cuckoo. As it turns out, yeah. he was he was completely sane. He was the only person, you know, yeah. he was the you know, the, the Matrix dude, you know. Yeah. But the strangers free. wanted to see how, not only how Walensky would behave, but how the other subjects would behave yeah. to him going crazy, as it were. Yeah. Despite the fact that he's the only the only one who realizes the truth. So well, was that was that not an anomaly that the, the strangers wanted him to, to recognize Pro, it? Proyas, uh, the way he described it was that him realizing it was a fluke, but the strangers didn't just get rid of him because they wanted to see what happens oh, to a I person when they see, realize it. Okay. And in his case, he went nuts and he was harmless. Right. And everybody thought he was nuts. So it was no big deal. Rufus Sewell woke up and having like evolved past yeah, their tuning. <clears throat> well, and that's, let's take a break and we get back. We'll talk about tuning and, and what that is and how it affects the rest of the story. I like okay. the sound of that. Let's do it. So we'll be back in about one second. And we're back. And there's this. <laughs> I feel better now. I'm protected. Did, 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 did the movie really make you feel like you needed a tinfoil hat? It did. It had a profound effect on me. And okay, I've, I've got to say, my favorite part is that he felt the need to cover his headphones as well as his well, yeah. actual head. I want, to protect, I want to protect everything. This, yeah. is, this is expensive equipment. <laughs> well, that, that way the strangers can't hear the things beaming out of the headphones. That's oh, right. is see? that what, so there yeah, is see. method to yes. madness. You see, there is. Mm -hmm. Thank you for privacy. telling me what my method was. <laughs> yeah, I just was. thought it was madness. Uh, yeah, I actually looked during the break, and this is really weird, um, <laughs> because I found a copy, a DVD copy, an original DVD copy of the motion picture Dark City, Wait. and it's exactly like the, this is actually sort of confusing me, 
This is precisely identical to the copy that I bought in 1999 or whenever it's it came out. It's got the Blockbuster sticker, Bobby. But it it has a block. It's a used DVD from Blockbuster, and it has a date on it that says January 28th, 2008. And for the life of me, I do not understand why I would have bought a movie I owned already. And it's the exact. You never know. It's the exact same. It was you know from back in the day when DVDs. You know, left and right, top yeah. and bottom. Yes. Because you got to pick if you wanted the widescreen or the pan and scan. Because uh-huh. yeah. your TV might not be widescreen. And yeah. otherwise you might miss stuff. And apparently there's a an offer. Uh, you can buy four, get one free DVD. That never felt like a good deal to it me. Was, <laughs> it was. I was like, okay. It's like 100 buy, bucks and buy, shit. Yeah, seriously, back then it's like, okay, so I'm still going to spend $60 on DVDs. That's ridiculous. But, I mean, if you want a copy of Under Siege, look, there you go. I already have yeah, it. Yeah, Under Siege. Of or, course you do. <laughs> yes. Or Blown Away. Got uh, it. Yeah, I mean, these Ooh, are... what else these is are, on there? These are just, you know... Is that the Batman and, Batman and Robin. Am I seeing Beetlejuice? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Are you? Yes, it's right there. Oh, yeah, there's Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah. Good eye. This was the world before the internet. Love it. And it was great. We were all born before the internet. Yeah. You know, I I give a presentation oftentimes to elementary school children about about the uh, Cold War and what it was like <laughs> on a submarine, and they asked if I had internet because he was on a submarine during the Cold yes. War. Yes, <laughs> and and I said, well, we would watch movies. And did you have internet? No. Well, then how did you watch movies? Oh my god! That was the question I was asked, and I just laughed and embarrassed the child, humiliated the child, and said, there was a time. When we actually had little bricks that we would put in a machine and push a button. Yeah. And that's how we watched movies. Oh, absolutely. What, what I, age group were you talking to? They were fifth graders, sixth graders. Well, my cousin's kid, uh, Kaylee's brother, Trevor, who's 22. I had to explain to him once, oh, yeah, your other cousin, Justin, and I used to dance to Michael Jackson songs like we were shooting music videos in your dad's living room. And he was like, oh, my God, tell me that's on YouTube. I said, well, buddy, <laughs> you know, actually, this was before YouTube. In fact, uh, this was before the internet, and he could not grasp that concept because he was born in the year two thousand. Yeah, see, that's why. That's so why he's it, almost twenty three. Yeah, that's that's why, you know, bringing back to the movie, or he might be twenty three in, in a sense. Movies like this should be required watching for young people because part of the overall message is that your world is not just what you see in front of you. Right. You know, um, life didn't begin on this planet the day you were born you know there's all the stuff that happened before you but allegedly allegedly but and i'm curious and you know leave a comment and say i have had conversations and it's particularly been with with guys who have uh who have said yeah we you know this has come up before this notion that what if what if time just began this morning and everything that you thought happened all throughout your life wasn't real it's just memories you know because if you think about it that's all you have you know name you're so a total recall <laughs> well your entire career in the navy all those experiences all programmed but even if they're real what do you have memories right if they're fake what do you have memories memories <laughs> you know it's, like the corners of well, my mind this is what i was thinking and it may be relevant or not but there, there were two roles, two of my dream roles were Benedict and Leslie in the, in the two plays and imagine, that we yeah. did together. And I happened to just 
go on the web and said, what are lo- some local auditions? And there was like, oh my God, much ado about nothing. I'm going to go, go for it. And then I ended up meeting you. And I remember that audition yeah. and you said, what would you like? I said, well, first choice Benedict, but you know, I could do Don John or something like that. And then we formed this relationship in this organization. And through that, I and get now this happens. You play, and, yeah. and now I'm, I'm very, I'm a little, a little worried, a little more than worried <laughs> how this is all playing out. Our thoughts form the universe. They always matter. It sometimes seems a little too obvious. Yeah. It's it's like... The simulation uh, winks. Uh, yeah, it's like, um, um, not Hunter Thompson, uh, Spalding Gray once said, you know, wow, this is significant. It's so significant, I better just ignore it. This is pretty frightening. It was so frightening, I thought I'd better forget about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and as I mentioned yeah. before, I, I saw an interview with Peter Sarsgaard, and he said, oh, I'm an only child. I said, that's impossible. There, there's a whole family of Sarsgaard. So I went to Deep Blue Sea, and it was mm-hmm. a Sarsgaard. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then, I kid you not, an hour later, I get a text from her with a Deep Blue Sea reference. It, it's totally unrelated. Yeah. It's. I'm a witch. So that's why I'm wearing this. Going forward for the rest of my life. <laughs> He's afraid of my witchy powers. But Jason, going back to your previous point about how DVDs used to be cram packed full of uh, oh yeah the special activities. features yeah the special features on this one. So like you said, you could choose between wide and full screen, two audio commentaries, uh, one from Roger Ebert as we mentioned, and another from the director of photography and production design. There's actually a Find Shell Beach interactive game yes. that you could play yes. with your they, remote control. Yes. They used to have, ga- they used <laughs> oh, to have terrible, terrible games on DVD. That the, the remote is not designed for gaming no. whatsoever no. because it's designed to navigate a yeah. DVD. You used menus. Menu, yeah. yeah. It was menus. Um, so casting crew biographies, filmographies, star highlights, comparison to Fritz Lang's Metropolis, yeah. theatrical trailers, set designs, fully animated menus, and more. So yeah. like, it was crammed the, full of substance. Yeah, the uh, the comparison to Metropolis, if I remember correctly, was actually an essay. So it was literally text, you know, a, a, an essay comparing Dark City to Metropolis just so you could read it. It's just an interesting thing you to read. You had to read, read on a you, DVD? Had, yeah. Which yeah. we would, too. I mean, we back would, in the day, absolutely. But uh, it's not the only text involved, because apparently uh, Schreiber, uh, the name of Kiefer Sutherland's character, uh, Daniel Schreiber, is the same as that of an author of an early 20th century uh, book titled Memoirs of My Nervous Illness. He wrote it while he was institutionalized for schizophrenia originally as an argument for his release. The book has become standard reading for many psychiatrists and psychologists. Do you mind? I was getting bored. (laughs) You look like you're getting color. (laughs) And apparently became like... I'll be a brunette. He doesn't want to be one of the the strangers. (laughs) He wants to be tan. Uh, But yeah, apparently Freud and Jung, like, really heavily based a lot of their work on it, but that was a callback to yeah, well, and again, an actual person. That That's the artistry of the movie and the fact that you have, you know, a filmmaker and a writer and, and a, a series of writers who are obviously well-read people. Yes. And they, amazing what a difference that makes. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're able to pull, well, there's just little things in the very, um, uh, in, in the, the hotel room in the very beginning. Um, <laughs> and it's such a small detail. The hotel room is room 614. I did not notice that. 
And I noticed what that. What relevance but I didn't, does that I didn't yeah. His name. Signal. Well, his name is John. Yes. John six fourteen. It's, okay. it's literally a reference to a Bible verse about a prophet. About oh, about wow. about you know saying you know this guy's a prophet, and he's he's coming to the world and he's a prophet. He's going to create change. Yeah. and yeah. it's like you know you would never ever ever think to look that up. It was I I think it was one of the audio commentaries. Somebody mentioned that. That's cool. And it's the only reason that I noticed it. Probably anybody else noticed it. Well, because there's not some huge call to it. They, no, it's not as it's though subtle. they sit there and hover over the number yeah. or anything like that. And uh, you're not really thinking about his name on that series of level because at first uh, there's a scene where he's disoriented and wandering through like an alley or something. He goes, my name is Jason, Jason Murdoch. No, Jake. Is it Jay something Murdoch? Jay Murdoch. What's your name? Justin? Jerry? No. My name's Jason Murdoch. John Murdoch. Jake Murdoch. How's it going? Hi, Jack Murdoch. <laughs> Jay? John. My name is John Murdoch, so you don't even yeah, really nice settle. To meet you. Yeah, exactly. So uh, now we're with the horde of strangers because I guess they're trying to determine what to do with John because he's essentially, you know, a glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> so they're not entirely certain how to handle him. Well, he he has, and we said we were going to talk about this when we came back. the The way that the yes. strangers control the city and presumably do pretty much anything, um, because they are if they're not actually people, they're actually these small kind of crudely, oh. crudely animated, uh, you know, CG, octopuses. Yeah, with like you know this weird ring of teeth, and they use dead humans, um, which is so fucking creepy. Because when you realize that there's little kids. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God, that was a dead kid. They just dug it. They just stole oh, bodies. Oh, they do. Yeah. Uh, so they, and, and they inhabit these, these dead bodies, but they use this psychic power called tuning, which basically is they can, with their minds, they can just alter reality. You know, you can make a door appear where there isn't one. You can make something float. You can it's fly. It's specific to the city, though, apparently. I didn't realize that. Well, because the energy source yeah, was, the machines, was in the bottom yeah. of the city. Yeah, so it's not like they can do this anywhere. It's yeah. specific to the city. And it, it the um there there are limitations. They're not I mean, they're fairly godlike, but they seem to be limited in what they can do. When they want to make big changes to the city, they've all got to focus and use the machines to make changes to the city. And they have to put all the people out. Yeah. They've got to make them <clears throat> sleep so that nobody notices the changes. Yeah, every every, every night at midnight which is, is really, if you think about it, just like tonight when, when it gets to be midnight and you watch the clock and it keeps going. But what if it stopped and it stayed stopped for a while and shit happened and you just didn't notice it and then it started ticking again? Yeah, because, I mean, John even brings that up to Bumstead later. He says, you ever notice that it's never daytime here? Yeah. Yeah. I got a better one for you. When was the last time you remember doing something during the day? What do you mean? I just mean during the day. Daylight. When was the last time you remember seeing it? And I'm not talking about some distant, half-forgotten childhood memory. I mean, like yesterday, last week, when? Can you come up with a single memory? You can't, can you? No, something I don't think the sun even exists in this place. Yeah, and that's that's the part where it's... he John, simply by understanding what's going on, and retaining his sanity 
is able to screw the whole system up because he can say to somebody else, like, do you have a memory of like your mom or not even that? Can you remember like not some far off distant memory, but what last yesterday. week? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's, uh, it's a little vague. It's a little, you know, I experience that every day. Yeah. Yeah. I know the For entirely it's, different It's reasons. getting worse and worse. That's why I got my my tinfoil hat on. So the the villains and there's really it's a collective thing because they do all have a collective consciousness. But Adam, for the love of God! Oh my God! Can you make more noise? It's not noisy. Turn your phone on again. No, it's off. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that would I'm be better. Be very yeah. quiet. Now. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's a collective kind of hive mind, like you were saying, Jason. But almost like, and I made that joke. I was being facetious, but they remind me of Unity from Rick and Morty. Well, because they're all kind of interconnected through telekinesis. Unity and, was more like the Borg. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I just, I still got a Unity vibe from these guys. Well, that actually, the fact that they're not one consciousness actually makes it more miserable for them that's true they are actual individuals because they're individuals but they all share memories get drunk and try to operate 400 deep fryers (laughs) well no think about it like it's like there's a line where one of them says uh, mr mr hand i think says um you know imagine you have there's no accomplishment there's no anything in your life because any memory you have it's everybody else's memory also and i like how their names are reflective of the environment i was just going to ask that what? What, what's the significance in those names? Because they don't, they don't. Because have it's names. nondescript. Like yeah. if you notice throughout the set, through the movie, uh, the storefronts aren't like Macy's or Sears or anything with any sort of name or substance to it. It's just like movie, movie, auto hardware, mat. auto. Yeah, it's all just perfunctory as far as the function of the actual store. Is there anything creepier than an automat? That's like the cre- and and they were very much real. Oh, for yes. decades and decades. Yes, they're and pretty creepy. I I would never go to one alone, for instance. It's just so something even about in the them. daytime. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like putting a coin in, and, or it says Apple. <laughs> yeah, I I have to agree. Automats are incredibly creepy for sure. When was the last automat you visited? I actually looked. At, I, I actually looked up like a, like a year ago. I was we curious. should go on a field trip to the automat. I it think was, they still have them in Canada. Uh, and they, they have them here. They do have automats? Where? They do where? I've got to look one up now. You I don't must. Know. I haven't seen an automat in, jeez. Um, I've yeah. seen little sushi trains. Yeah. <laughs> sushi yeah. train. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll take that one. It's quite wonderful. But the um, um, the the strangers, even though they're they have a collective memory, there are individuals, which is good because you get individual performances. Um, the the main bad guy, and I swear I always thought it was David Warner, um, who was in a million things. He was in Star Trek V and, mm-hmm. you know, a whole bunch of stuff. But it's not David Warner. I actually looked it up today and realized it's the uh, the, the guy who plays Mr. Mr. Book, who is the main bad guy. Sorry, there's an Automats and Accessories in Dalton, Georgia. I I think we're past it now. <laughs> <laughs> I found one is the point of the story. Um, but Mr. Book, the actor who plays him, was actually the guy who played the original uh, Frank Underwood in the BBC production of House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't Underwood. Richardson, yep. <clears throat> yeah, he, and it, it wasn't Underwood. The original name in the books was like Urquhart or something. But, right, uh, right. But it was still F.U. Um, he did it before Kevin Spacey. Yeah he, did it before, yeah, he did it before Kevin Spacey. And he actually did it, in my opinion, a lot better. The original House of Cards, the first season of that is some of the best TV you'll ever see. But uh, so that was cool. And then, of course, we have um, 
the guy from uh, Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the name of his character in Rocky Horror? I can never. Richard O'Brien was Mr. Hand. Yeah. No, but in the Rocky Horror, it was like. Oh, in Rocky Horror. Uh, I, it wasn't I, like, you know, Frankenfurter. But wasn't that it was Magenta or something? I'm going to be very no, honest yeah. with the audience here. And I know this might come as a shock and a disappointment to. One of my least favorite movies of all time. I hate that movie. I'm not a fan. I fucking hate Rocky Horror. It's ridiculous. I it's hate the, ex- it's the experience, though. People don't go for the plot or anything. It was a low-budget, crappy film, but once you start throwing toast and water and See, I groping never, boobies and things. Riff Raff, that's yeah, right. Riff Yeah. And apparently he was the he wrote the original oh, he wrote, musical. He, he did everything. Yeah. And he played the he, he did the music to it and everything. That's why he could entertain everyone. Yeah. In between takes. I mean, you never know. He might just have a good memory. I and didn't know he was one of them. He was the he's writer. He's such a good villain in this movie. Oh, Absolutely. he's wonderful. You know, yeah. um, because he, what happens is eventually, you know, they know that John simply being in the city and being aware and having the ability to tune. So he, he's doing this. He's making a door appear and he's not thinking about it. It's just an instinctive thing. You know, he breaks glass or he'll do something uh, because he needs to do it and he just sort of visualizes it. And it happens. Mm-hmm. But because he's in the city, he is causing the system to malfunction. So when they're tuning, suddenly they can't quite reconfigure the city. Because he's not, what, in the hive mind with them? What's the reasoning behind I, it, that? Because he's, he is... Is he human? Well, because he's using the machines also. Oh, okay. So he's not, they're not fully in control of their machines oh, so he's stealing their cable. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Yeah, great, they're great they're analogy. they're they're <laughs> mining they're mining for cryptocurrency and their <laughs> GPUs are a hundred percent and he's coming along and taking like twenty percent so their hash rates going that down. bastard there mm. you that go that is rude that's that's the twenty twenty three you know <laughs> way of explaining this thank you so, for modernizing my analogy <laughs> so what they decide to do is Mr. Book decides that he is going to get Dr. Schrieber who's been used as you know the tool for implanting these memories. And he says, make the John Murdoch that was supposed to be the killer, the guy who actually remembered killing six people, make that and put it in me and I'll have all of his memories and then I'll know every, every place he's going to go because I'll know it. It'll be, I'll be John Murdoch. And of course, uh, everyone says this is a terrible idea. Even the strangers you know, they're all saying this nah. is a bad idea. <laughs> you know, so, maybe but he, not. <laughs> but he does it anyway, and it's it's so great how it works out because yes, he becomes the killer, but he does sort of become a little like Murdoch. Like you see him interacting with Jennifer Connolly, and it's not exactly clear how he feels about her. Like he sort of loves her. You know, he, in fact, he even recreates the scene where they first met, where John and Emma first met, but he does it, you know. There used to be a fairy when I was a boy, biggest thing you ever saw, lit up like a floating birthday cake. It's just what my husband once said to me, on this very spot. Where is your husband now? I wish I knew. What brings you here? I met my wife at this place. That's where I first met my husband. Small world. Um, it's it's just an interesting take on a villain. Yeah, and it's got a very creepy vibe to it all the while. But so now we're with John, and he is visiting 
someone he thinks he can trust, his uncle Carl. By the way, did you recognize who Uncle Carl is? It was no. Mr. Haney from no. the Green Acres. No, but I can see that he actually does look. <laughs> he does yeah. look like uh, Mr. Haney. I recognize him, but it's nothing's coming to mind. You remember when we watched The Fifth Element? Aziz Light. He's the professor. The professor. He's the, the professor. professor. Yeah. The, the, Aziz Light. Yes, that. That's yeah. Who, yeah sorry, I yeah. forgot that he wasn't a priest because the priest is later. Yeah. Okay. So, which that's again, Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> Bilbo's the priest. Yeah. Bilbo's this the guy's priest. the professor. Yeah. yeah. Which is really weird too, because again, Fifth Element came out right before this. So in my whole universe of experience, like it's kind of weird. Like the guys in both in two of the three movies that made this great year, you know, so wonderful. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, this movie gave me a bit of a Fahrenheit 451 vibe in the sense that there's a, a scene in that book that I specifically remember how the audience is watching their television at home and there's no substance to any of the programming in this yeah. dystopia. And they see a scene playing out between a husband and wife where the, the husband's just like, God, I'm just so damn mad. And the wife goes, well, what are you mad for, Steve? Or whatever his name yeah. is. And he goes, God, I'm just so mad. And But there's no reasoning yeah. behind it. There's no substance whatsoever. But that's that's pretty much what these characters keep living out over and over again because they have these important memories because cheating on your husband is a significant thing. And well, they're it would real cause, to them. Um, yeah, they're yeah, real they're to real. them. They cause these emotional ramifications and these behavioral ramifications, but there's not actual substance to it. Like when somebody finally slows down and goes, wait a minute, are you my wife? Or wait, I, cheating on you doesn't seem like something I would do. When they really yeah. think about it, they can source back pretty easily. So, the, yeah, But they just don't pay any attention to it. Like, right, they just keep going Bumstead, with emotions. There's a part where Bumstead points to the uh, the accordion that he has and he says my mom gave it to me i keep it to remind me of her and you know it's funny i can't remember when she gave it to me how yeah. can i forget something like that how do you think i could forget a thing like that do you think about the past much mrs murdoch what's happening inspector and there's other inconsistencies too. There's there's you know photographs of things that that you know photograph of something from the past that doesn't reflect the present. Like John in the past had a scar, yeah, but he doesn't actually have that scar. Right. The strangers are a bit shoddy in their worksmanship yeah. because, like I said, the well, first presumably they would have corrected that if they had finished implanting him. Ah, yeah, that's, that's true. Right. That, quite get that discrepancy in. wasn't exactly their fault, yeah. but like, because yeah. they did do a thorough enough job where Carl actually acknowledges and thinks he is John's uncle when John comes to visit him. Well, so they're yeah. they're on the same page, oh, yeah. memory wise. And because John got imprinted correctly, Emma got but, imprinted. Well, but I mean, uh, John Carl is, Carl got imprinted correctly. But yeah, because John is still inconsistent because he's like the Neo and he's evolved past their ability to imprint him or you know plan those memories because he's this asking was not what in the this no. was not in the regular cut no with this the, little girl the, the, the scene so what's with, happening the scene with the little girl um in fact the little girl was completely cut even in the earlier scene where john the the scene that we're watching right now is where uh they uh emma and Bum, bumstead discover that the prostitute who john didn't kill has now been murdered in the way that john was supposedly going to murder her right. yeah which that does occur in the movie that, you know, there is the prostitute. Yes. And, and she is killed uh, by Mr. Hand. But there is an added element that was cut from the theatrical, which is that the prostitute has a daughter. 
And the daughter is actually one of the reasons why John left in the first place. When he sees the daughter, he gets out of there. Interesting. Because yeah, that's what really turns you off of a hooker. It's, it does when there were the well, kids show up. I'm not getting involved. Aside well, and from then, that. Yeah, and then, and then subsequently when she's found, there's a scene where, where Emma and Bumstead find the daughter and she's drawn a picture of the strangers. Right, and they've got knives in their hands. Yeah. And... So it's important to, it, it, it solidifies the change. Bumstead is, he's such a great character. William Hurt did such a good job with the character. He did. And apparently Proyas praises him for actually having his head wrapped around the story way better than any of the other actors, including himself. Oh, yeah. He said, William Hurt, I don't know what it was, but he just had the story and it, he understood every nook he and was, cranny of the William story. William Hurt was a very cerebral guy. Yes. Um, I mean, the last thing I saw him in was he played uh, Richard Feynman, the physicist. He was in and, a lot of stuff. He, he was in the remake of Lost in Space, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. John, um, John Robinson. I think there was some personal thing that he might have. I don't know. I feel like if I go look up his Wikipedia article, there's going to be something in there that makes me go, huh? Uh, but I don't know it, so I don't want to say it. But go look it up yourselves. But okay. he, But he does. <laughs> he does such a good job of starting off as I am a detective. My job is to catch the murderer. That's what I'm doing. Very typical. And he just very gradually experiences enough of the story to start to realize there is no case. Something's up. Something's up. Even by the time he first sees John, he tells him flat out, I'll listen to whatever it is that you have to say. Because he's also noticing that the pieces of evidence are not adding up. So he's not only piecing it together himself, he's realizing that there's something to what John is experiencing. Well, and... Bumstead has been given the entire answer. He's the only person apart from Kiefer Sutherland who's, when Walensky earlier, when you know, Walensky's great scene, and it really is an awesome scene, you know, when he says something about the case and Walensky replies, there is no case. And he lays out literally everything. He tells him exactly what's going on, and he's completely not, correct. But it's not necessarily from from a reliable source because well, they assume that he's gone bonkers. Bumstead so. had to experience it himself. Right. Yeah, he had to answer the questions himself. Uh, ultimately, he gets answers to his questions in a very, you know, final sort of way. Yeah, he, unfortunately. Because the characters, the entire movie, you keep hearing about Shell Beach. Yes. Now, Shell Beach is this, you know... The, there, there are memories of Shell Beach. There are billboards. And everyone knows about it. It's like everyone Panama City. It, yeah. Everybody's heard of it. Somebody's been there. Your friends have been there. Or you Ron used John to go surf there. Surf shop. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows exactly. about it, but I've never been there. Where it, is it? I don't know. There's billboards everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And then the relevant point is that, you know, Bumstead and Murdoch are talking and he says, yeah, Shell Beach, you know it, right? But do you remember how to get there? Yeah. Nobody and knows how to get there. Exactly. Yeah. It's and the unreachable destination that somehow everyone has a collective memory yeah. of. Um, that. Ultimately, they do decide, well, we're going to go as far. They essentially just say we're going in as far in, in one direction as we can. And um, we're on the edge of the map. Yeah, that's lit. Well, they do literally yeah. get to the edge of the map. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's be- this beautiful scene. I love it. Schreiber, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, William Hurt and Rufus Sewell are on a boat and they're just rowing on the outskirts of, of the city through some sort of a, you know, aqueduct or tunnel or whatever. Well, and, and Kiefer is attempting to inject 
more memories into Murdoch, but they don't think he can be trusted because he works with the strangers. Yeah. But he keeps claiming that he wants to help Murdoch and help him realize the truth. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, Kiefer Sutherland, he's, he's, he really is a hero, you know, because he's, and we'll, we'll get to that, but they make it to the edge and they find, you know, the door opens and for a split second, you think there's sunlight on the other side, but then it's revealed it's just another billboard. Yeah. They break through the billboard. They open up uh, the wall and it's just space. Just space. And interestingly enough, they had to change that scene a little bit. There was too there was too much confusion in the audience. And Proyas did appreciate the fact that nobody like in the test audiences ever walked out, but yeah. no one got the same impression yeah, from I, this movie who watched it. Every a lot of people were massively confused. Well, the specific problem, and this just gets me, is that everybody they said, Well, why aren't they being blown out into space and why don't they suffocate? And instead of just going, Well, clearly the strangers have something. You know, there's not a dome on the city. I mean, there's something keeping the air in. Mm-hmm. They added the little effect, the little uh, shield effect. Force field yeah. almost, yeah. yes. So when they, when Bumstead and uh, one of the strangers end up tumbling through the hole and into space, they, you sort of see this blue shimmer. Well, there were a lot of things that were added that Proyas wasn't psyched about. That was one of them. And the tuning itself, going back to that for a second, uh, Proyas thought that the effects for that were really heavy-handed. But once again, there was just too much confusion and there was arguing between him and the studio because, of course, they're trying to reach the widest expansive audience that they possibly can make money. And his argument was that, you know, a movie doesn't have to be for everyone. Yeah. Movies, you know, they lose their identity when you try to make them too bland and too generic and too accessible to absolutely everyone. Yeah. Like, it's not really my job as a director to make sure everybody understands it. It's not necessary. See, now I actually, I want to go back and watch the theatrical cut again because supposedly in the director's cut, which is the one that's playing in the studio, uh, the special effects were more toned down. Um, well, I thought I thought it was a little gratuitous, honestly, at the very end. The, the, the fight. It was like Gandalf versus it, Saruman, you know? <laughs> They're spinning and fighting and floating and zapping. And apparently sure. the tuning was, it was thought of by Alex Proyas, but uh, there was some debate on, like, between the screenwriters. Joseph Dobbs or Dobbs wanted to use the occasion as its description instead of tuning. Because Proya is like tuning because it implied that changes were being made mm. and there were some tweaks yeah. happening, yes. but otherwise it would have been called the occasion, which sounds like a bad character on Jersey Shore. Yeah, I think I think tuning works. Better. Tuning is better. I like yeah. it. Agreed. I it's love three, uh, three to nothing. Tuning. We win. Four. Because yes. Alex Proyas was uh, yeah. on our side. Four, so. four to one. Alex. Although after, after after Gods of Egypt, I don't think we're going to be hearing from him, uh, uh, which I've never seen. And what I, year was it made? Oh man, I don't. It's a long time. No, it, it, yeah, it was. I think it's his most recent movie. Okay, uh, it was. It was universally hated by right, everyone. Okay. Uh, but which doesn't June mean twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Okay, which doesn't mean anything because it might be a fucking awesome movie. I've never seen it, um, and I kind of actually want oh, to. Gerard Butler was in it. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Rush is in it. It's it's got a pretty expansive cast, but the. The strangers ultimately. Ooh, that was a do, 
150 million dollar movie box office. I don't know. Apparently, it made. I don't know. Yeah. Made money, but even though people hate it, it, it I has don't know. like a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh no! Yes, <laughs> that sucks. You know, I've never even heard of it. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So ultimately, we we do get to this point where something has to give. Mm-hmm. Um, John has become powerful enough to screw up their plans, and the strangers. And I like this. They sort of decide, well, you know what? We don't need to do the experiment anymore. Maybe that's actually what we've been looking for. Is this guy who's like us a little bit? Maybe he's but he still link. has his individuality. So they decide that they're going to inject all of the collective memories of the strangers into him and make him one of them. I don't understand how memories would accomplish that. I'll be honest. I don't actually understand that. either. Okay. I was hoping you would explain it to me because I was like, I didn't really get that solution. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like by this point in the movie, you're bought into it enough that they're doing something. Creative license. Yeah. But it does give Dr. Schrieber the opportunity yeah. to, instead of inject him with the collected memories of the strangers, he has made an entire set of memories just like John's actual memories, only with Kiefer Sutherland inserted into it, teaching him how to tune. <laughs> it's like a YouTube video yeah. put it into his brain. Well, again, and this like is... Like a self-fulfilling prophecy later down the line. Well, that... if you think about it, again, this is before The Matrix, and it's exactly the same concept. He just takes the information, puts it into Rufus Sewell's brain, and I know Kung Fu. Only yes. instead of kung fu, it's this other fighting thing yes. that we're going to do. So it actually beat the uh, beat the matrix uh, to the punch on that. That's pretty much the the stuff that I have. More or less, I mean, I'd never seen it before, so I had to do a little more research than normal to bring some knowledge to the table. It was definitely an interesting movie, and I will say this: I wish I had nostalgia factor with this movie. I think I would have enjoyed rewatching it more if I had. Yeah, because it. It presents as an even deeper movie than it is in some ways, if that makes sense, because I was waiting for some minute details that I had to catch in order to understand what was happening. No, it's not a puzzle movie. No, it's really not. not. But it gives that vibe. Yeah, it tells you, it lays out pretty clearly, pretty quickly, actually. Here's what's happening. Well, and of course, I didn't trust that. I was like, okay, that's too simple. They give us all the answers right out of the gate. But no, that's pretty much what it was. But you do have this twist here where... Uh, and I like this about Rufus Sewell's character. So John Murdoch, he he does discover that Emma's not really his wife, but he decides to love her anyway. And as we all did, yeah, not not She's a hard, not my but, wife either. Not, not a hard decision to make, but, but not in a her. creepy way. Uh, <laughs> no, because he I, does get caught, uh, and he's at the police station. She comes to speak to him, and he shatters the glass partition. Yeah, that's, that's actually one them. of that's that's one of my favorite visuals of the whole movie. Yeah, it's incredibly cool. You know, well, because that's Rufus Sewell becoming God. Mm -hmm. Because that's the first time in the movie where he says, oh, yeah, my powers. I'm going to do this. And And I'm going to do it so I can kiss Emma and and show her that I love her. Right. And And I don't think he did decide. I think he did genuinely. I think that was part of what was in his head from the beginning. Right. Was the love for her. 
even though at the beginning he's just like, so you're supposed to be my wife. Like it's, there's not actual feeling there, but what I really appreciate about it is the ending because, and apparently there was supposedly going to be a sequel to dark city where they thought about you can, yeah, you continued following John to see if his absolute power corrupted him. Absolutely. Well, let's end it. Let's, let's talk about what the ending is. Yeah. So, um, ultimately John, escapes from the strangers and takes over the city. Well, he he's he's given Schreiber gives him the ability to tune as well as uh the strangers. Imprint or what? Can he imprint too at the end? I forget. Like or is that only a Schreiber thing? The, imp- the, the, imp- the imprinting is that's technology. Yeah. So yeah, Schreiber's that, the only one doing needle. that with and, the needles. And, yeah, and they're very Schreiber has he very clearly says the facility where they kept all the memories was destroyed. Yeah. So all, which not only means all of they're the, starting at zero. Well, even, there's no chance for the humans in Dark City to recover who they were. They don't know. They don't know what Earth is. Yeah, they're starting at zero. They're like literally yeah. starting from scratch. The, well, whoever they are today, that's who they're going to be the rest of their lives. They just build on from there. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have. A, they don't know what Earth is. They have no memory of Earth. If that wasn't implanted in them, it's not something. If there's not a book that the strangers made that's a prop that has the history of Earth in it, they don't know. They just know that. Well, they and live even in if they city. did have a prop, it probably would be just like the storefronts and everything else. Yeah, just, just the like cover. Earth was this place. Like it wouldn't really give them any sort of backstory to what yeah. it was. Which you see, and it's so interesting because this whole movie is sort of a counter to the simulation hypothesis. Because there's a lot of things that people talk about with the simulation, like the Mandela effect. People say, well, that's that's a you know a, a sign of uh, of the simulation or the history being sort of created on demand is a sign of being in a simulation. But in this movie, which really predates it predates the Matrix, predates the simulation hypothesis effectively, they're doing the same things, but it's actually a force physically manipulating your reality, and it could be demons. Here's the question: um, the are the people they're killing? Are those like fake killings, or are the strangers actually killing the people no, that they? Them. Okay, so they're actually yeah. dying, and then I guess are those some of the bodies that they're taking over? So I, I wonder if that's strategic. It's possible. I think it's possible. I don't know that they ever I, answered I got, that question. I got the impression that at least initially, when they were kidnapping humans, um, that uh, they had to stage murders were, to give them a reason. Like, I, I kind of figured they were grave robbing. But they might have been just, yeah, they might have been killing people and just yeah, having de- fresh dead people. Yeah, because depending you know. on the level of decomposition, grave yeah. robbing is only so effective. So they must be yeah, and they, don't they look, must be killing people in yeah. cycles so that they can take over their bodies. And yeah. Because they're going to continue to decompose even though they're possessed, one would assume. So they have to keep doing yeah. these murderous experiments in order to harvest the bodies, I would assume. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the question. I mean, are they still going to Earth and kidnapping people? And no, you know. no reference to an anal probe at all. No, which was unusual. I know you missed that, but I do. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm wearing this. I don't so, like the probe. So anyway, yeah, John, uh, essentially, like you said, Jason, he becomes God. He mm-hmm. he yeah. can manipulate the city single handedly. He swats them aside. Yeah. Yes, you know he, he. There's this you know battle between Mister Book and John, and. There's a little bit of action in the battle itself, but it's really them sort of staring at each other and who's who's stronger and the one who's stronger wins. Mm-hmm. Right. And John, you know, uh, Mr. Book throws a knife at him and tries to, you know, use the his powers to stick the knife in him. And John turns the knife around and stabs Mr. Book and then throws him into a water tower. 
because yeah. we didn't even mention that the yeah. weakness yeah. is water moisture. Yeah, they're they're averse to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but and I like the fact that that didn't actually kill him. What killed him was the fact that when he threw him into the water tower, there was a spiky thing in the water tower that impaled <laughs> him, and that's actually what killed him. The water just weakened him, um, <laughs> like the aliens hit. Yeah, Sonic. yeah. It, well, it made more sense in this because. <laughs> They, they weren't on Earth, so they could keep a distance from water. I mean, yeah, they, they had to true. have it to keep the, the hamsters alive. Spin the wheel, hamster. But yeah, so John triumphs over Mr. Book and becomes god of Dark City. and Makes it Sun City. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he, he goes outside for the first time in his life, as yeah, far right. as he's aware. Yeah. Which is which is wonderful. You know, you you he first thing he does, and it's it's... Again, it's very biblical. You know, he separate. You know, uh, he doesn't separate the darkness from the light first. He creates the oceans first. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he he puts the the buildings back up, but then he creates the oceans. And who changes Emma? Because by the end, you just said a minute ago that, that was Mr. Everybody... Mr. Hand. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, yeah because uh, she's Anna by the. So she's yeah. got a whole new personality. And what I like about that is that John doesn't manipulate or try to. He doesn't manipulate her at all. He actually just sets things up so that they can potentially fall in love again. Yeah, and it, it's great because the after the battle, and you know, John is now he's he's created the oceans. He's really made Shell Beach, and he's tilted the city so the city's going to have day and night cycles. Right. And he goes to Shell Beach, and well, he's adjacent to Shell Beach. He's on some sort of well, like, yeah, he goes to, yeah, he goes for to Connelly. <laughs> And it's and the weird thing is too is there's a shot I swear in um oh god the other Jennifer Connelly movie um the one that I hate the with, other with, Jennifer with, Con- with Krusty Magoo in it um, <laughs> Requiem for a Dream Requiem for a Dream <laughs> there's a shot in that movie that I swear they ripped off uh, down to having Jennifer Connelly in it that's like the same thing you know the same long period. I've only seen that movie the that. one time and I don't ever plan on revisiting yeah, it. So. What year did that one come out? Uh, ninety, maybe late nineties or early two thousand. Yeah, it was close. Um, and she does a great 2000. job. Two uh, thousand, two thousand. Okay, there are great performers in it who do great jobs performing. Oh, but absolutely. The, but the movie itself is just so up its own ass, and uh, it's just so. And the ending is so it's disturbing, so fucking upsetting. I yeah, couldn't, like, uh, yeah. I couldn't watch it. again. Makes me hate Keith David. Like, yeah, I know, and I mean, I don't ever want to hate Keith. David, no, that's know? that's the cardinal sin of David that movie. Keith, Bes- maybe. Besides, but not Keith David. Besides not Keith what David. happened to Jennifer Connelly, that's the cardinal sin is making me hate Keith David. In yeah. Movie. Was yeah. she the one at the Keith yeah. David? Getting okay. passed around yeah. like party favor. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. So there's no happy ending in that one. No. But in this, you know, but they, her. they do, it, you know, he, he walks out into the sunlight and you have this beautiful shot. That was my phone falling. <laughs> there's, uh, there's this beautiful shot looking at this pier and it's overwhelmingly bright because it's been so dark. For two hours. And Broyas even said that. He said it was kind of a shock to everyone's system and seeing all of his cast and crew <laughs> yeah, out, out actually out in, out in the sunlight yeah. was pretty shocking. Um and Jennifer Connolly is standing at the end of the pier, and literally it's like that's you know, for, for years it was like, you know, if I die and I close my eyes and I open my eyes and that's what I see, I'll know I lived a good life. It almost, that's, you know. it almost struck kind of a pleasant bill cord because she's got like her little suitcase yeah. and she's you can tell she's either at a journey's end or at a journey's beginning. And they never explain why Anna, who is the new personality she's been given, mm-hmm. why did she go there? And what I... Well, regardless, it seems all the humans have Shell Beach in common. 
whether they they've do, heard but of it. But they're not all just going there. No, I she know. She literally but... leaves her job and goes to Shell Beach. And what's interesting, I think that when she was imprinted by Mr. Hand, I think he put something in there to tell her to go to Shell Beach. Because he was falling in love with her kind of as he John. He was falling so... in love, and he knew either he or John were going to be dead at the end of it. Ooh. And who's there at before John opens the door to Shell Beach? Who Hand. shows up? Mr. Hand shows Hand up. Hand was there. He was waiting for them. He wow. knew He knew ah. that's where it was going to end. And it's he deep. didn't get Jennifer Connelly. He just got Yeah, he Hand. got killed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he well, he knew he was dying right, by that right. point. Yeah, um, so. so there's just so much, you know, and, and it's left, you know, will they fall in love? Hey, it seems likely, but he not. sets up the possibility yeah. for it, but he doesn't yeah. create it in stone, which I really like. He simply because they don't have any memories beyond their discord in their marriage of her supposedly cheating. They don't have memories of how they met each other. They don't remember anything past last week, like like you were saying, Jason. So he's actually constructing an arena where they can have yeah. memories of meeting and falling all in love with real. each other. Yeah, every, it's all yeah, real. Every memory that he and Anna will have will be real memories. I love that. Yeah. It's such a sweet ending to such a dark movie. Yeah. and it's, it, it really was. It's like a bright ending. Yeah. It's it's the light literally it's, and, and figuratively. figuratively. <laughs> well, it's the light cleansing the uh, you know the darkness uh, the darkness away. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, watch Dark City. Yeah. Yeah. It is a it's a fascinating movie because, uh, as I said, so actually let's go out to Seinfeld and we can delve into that. Well, a you guys more, are so. probably going to be both straight five. I've right? got. I have be, to be, but I've got I'm some straight, thoughts on it, and I'm going to give it a five. Okay. <laughs> I can't help myself. I am going to give it. Um, You've got to be higher. It's got to uh, yeah, be higher it's going to be. I would so. It's going to be like a nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which honestly shocked me because I'd seen the movie a million times, saw it in the theater. It was my favorite movie for years. And then I think I, I watched it too many times and I kind of got bored. And when and, these movies that are ahead of their time stretch too hard in the earlier years, they do tend to suffer for it. Like the special effects get chintzy or something happens to ruin it. But that's awesome that it improved for you, well, Jason. I love that. Well, about probably, I don't know, like seven. Or, the last time I saw it, I think I, I said, yeah, you know, I've seen it so many times. You know, yeah. it's, it's almost like, you know, it was almost going the direction of Star Wars where it's like, I don't give a shit if I ever see Star Wars again. I've seen it so many times. I don't care. And so it was many years between the last time I watched it and now. And I think... You know, having had Mandela effects happen to me and having spent so long in that weird headspace where I think about this stuff mm -hmm. a lot, it is very odd that this was the movie that I loved from 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it seems so much more relevant. So much more now. pertinent to our current state of society. Yeah. yeah, whatever is going on in our reality is closer to Dark City than I ever thought of 25 years ago. Yep. Everything is so staged for us these days, and we're just led toward consumerism and everything else. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's one thing to say that your opinions are assigned to you, and I, I think to a large degree they are. Um, you know, most of the things that you believe were, were assigned to you. Implanted. You and know, not even necessarily but, by family and friends anymore. It's But oh yeah, there are no. so many more outside sources than that now. But the idea of your memories themselves, you know, that that is, like I said, I don't care what experience you have. You can, obviously, you can have a physical, you know, 
uh, souvenir from an experience. You know, you can you can have something that I got, and here's this thing. But an ashtray. Re- yeah, but really, I mean, you think of the things that people really want to have happen to them. If you're a guy, you really want to, you know, sleep with with an incredibly hot woman. But when it's over with, you just have your memories. Exactly. That's what you That's have of the experience. Have. It's the essence yeah, of the, what happened. Yeah. The experience is going to last a brief amount of time. Five or six briefer seconds. Briefer for some than others. Five or six <laughs> seconds at best. Yeah. But you're going to have the memories for the rest God. of your life. So if there's something that can affect that, that's all you have. And or that's huge. You can just save the energy from the experience and just plant the memory. Absolutely. You don't even need to expend that. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And there's people that actively do that. Yeah, I know. You know, that try to meditate and have an experience that they know is fake. It's not something that they're trying to make is right. real. But if they can imagine it real enough, yeah, they get the memories. Yep. You know. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm going to give it, um, yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. I'm giving it a nine. I can appreciate that. Uh, As you said, I'm a straight five because I just saw this movie for the first time last night. And like I said, if I could alter my score, I would simply because the performances, I love Rufus Sewell. I adore William Hurt. They're fantastic actors. It's And it's an interesting, intriguing movie. It had my attention from the get. And it oddly, like... When I don't have nostalgia associated with a movie, I'm quick to just say, okay, yeah, this is some 1998 movie. Yeah, I see what they're going for, whatever. But with this one, I actually found myself wishing I had some sort of nostalgia link to this movie because I think I would have enjoyed it even more in the rewatching. But yeah, I could see that. But straight five for me. So uh, I'm actually glad you picked this because I never, I might never have seen it or heard of it otherwise because nobody, nobody in my circle has ever really brought it up. It's never been like, you've never seen Dark City? Like I've never had that conversation, so it's just you're the first person to expose me to this movie. I, I've, so I've actually been very reluctant. I enjoyed to, it. To, to bring it up. I've, I've thought about this movie probably a hundred of our episodes. Anytime it's been my choice, this movie has been one of the movies that I was considering. Because a movie like this could so easily suck with age. It but could, you didn't even for choose different it, reasons. You know, you said it was chosen. Why don't for you choose well, it? And I said Dark City. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You well, the internet tried to choose yeah, for you. Brain. You didn't yeah. let them. <laughs> <laughs> the internet, the internet eliminated it. Yeah, but they they were wrong. So they were very. I wrong. I, yes. I, I I corrected them. Uh, and one of these days, yeah. one of these days, we will do the Rocketeer. But having watched Dark City, now <laughs> or I'm will like, we? I'm really really glad. Jason makes promises and then yanks the <laughs> yanks away the results. I, thing, so. Yeah, I'll be honest. If we, if we do another Jennifer Connelly movie, it will be career opportunities because yeah, after, after doing say. a serious, you know, uh, you know, she does a an amazing dramatic performance. He let's, just wants let's to just see her watch in that tank top. something yeah. light and yeah. fun. Yeah, but no. So continue. <laughs> well, yeah, with the I Alpha mean, Seinfeld. We, well, you said yours. Five for me. Yeah, yeah. we're both straight five. But actually, it, it just went up to a six moments ago, just because you can't do that. I can't. You've never seen it before. It so doesn't it's an matter. Automatic We're fight. in the dark city. I am protected. It's, I am protected. This, this movie from might be God. the one that lets you do it. I just, I something happened. I feel like I've seen it before now. I'm going to tune the hell out of you. Maybe you have. I, I might have. Maybe I you have. Know. I'm just terrified. And to knock that aluminum foil off your head and tune the absolute hell out of you, Mr. Brown. I, I will say, after I watched this, I, um, I went to the grocery store and. It, it was really weird. It was like, finish this movie, 
and I, I go to the grocery store and something about, it was very crowded and everybody was doing shopping. And in that, everyone in, was doing shopping in, in, in that, in that, in that very purposeful way that people do shopping. Sure. You know, they're all and, in their own little zones. And, and, yeah. and it was, it was the briefest moment of all, I'll, I'll I'll cop to it. It was almost like like a panicky sensation. It was like uh, in what sense? I don't know. It was like everybody was just in there doing this thing, this shopping thing, and it's like, why are you buying all these things? Why are you buying that instead of that? Well, do you really like this better than that? Or have you just been told that you like that? And I consider what? that a lot, uh, especially with all of the different <laughs> options you have at the supermarket, because there are some things like. Uh, for instance, if I had never been stricken with pancreatitis, I wouldn't know what electrolyte is, which is a much healthier version of Gatorade. Oh, there you go. Less yeah. sugar, all that. And I, but I never would have looked for it. And you're almost like choice blind because of your preferences. Well, there's there's the modern concept of you know is somebody an NPC, um, or are they aware? You know, that's sort of the philosophical, and it's it boils down to a joke on the internet nowadays. You know, people will call anyone an NPC. Um, but when you watch this and you go out in public, you do actually start looking around like, is anybody else looking around confused like I am right now? Is there somebody else in this grocery store going, why is everybody doing this? And the answer is no. And the answer is no. No. Well, that's, that's everything I've got. Unless you guys have any closing thoughts, uh, I think, uh, we can go ahead and take it home. Uh, take us home, please. Awesome. Well, um, Gang, it has been a fun romp uh, with movie that we all seem to pretty much agree on that we like. So that doesn't always happen. It no. got a good score across the board, despite the fact that Mr. Uh, Aluminum Foil and I had never seen this one before. So thank you for joining us for your drive time, your listening time, your tuning time, your new reality time. We don't care what kind of time. This has been Darth, Adam, and Jason with Dark City on Hindsight. And good night. <laughs>